joined on the line uh, to help us do this by Dr. Ivor Sarasinski, who is a senior lecturer at the WIT School of Governance. Thanks for your time this morning, uh, this morning, Doctor. Pleasure and good morning to you. So, Doctor, let's just start by looking at yesterday's proceedings and understanding what necessitated that. Well, it's it's a it's a decision that's had vast ramifications for all sectors of society in South Africa. And uh, it's, it's a decision that's been clouded in controversy. And the issue revolved around this intelligence report, alleged uh, intelligence report. Now, if decisions are made on, 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 the, on such a flimsy basis, that has implications for the Constitution and other legislation which prescribes how people in the executive must act. So it, it's a, it gets to the heart of our constitutional democracy in terms of the expectation we as citizens have of how our representatives and how our public servants make decisions can conduct themselves. So what procedures then must the president follow or is he supposed to follow before a reshuffle takes place? Well, the, he, the decision to reshuffle and to appoint is his. What's, what's at issue here is are the reasons for his decision to uh, uh, fire cabinet ministers, uh, and the reasons have to be rational. They have to be grounded in some kind of fact. They have to be grounded on some kind of real basis. And that's what uh, this court order is about. Uh, the, the, the order isn't making a decision on whether the decision was rational or not yet. That's coming later, perhaps. What the court order says is, give us the information you used to make that decision so we can assess whether it was rational or not. Is that in itself rational to ask the president uh, to provide those reasons? And what precedent is there for this? There, is, there are precedents. Legal commentators uh, have already pointed out that it's similar to a, a, a court action at the constitutional court. Uh, where uh, President Mandela was taken to court to justify uh, decisions that he made regarding, I think it was rugby at the time. So there is a constitutional court precedent uh, which has has made this possible. But was that, well, well, uh, and um, you know, I've actually asked Janet to just uh, quickly look into that. Uh, that particular decision uh, with uh, rugby and President Nelson Mandela was that not about resolving um, a nature of an administrative uh, decision, uh, and 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 yes. not necessarily about providing um, the records of those decisions per se. Yes. Now it starts to get all complicated, and this is where the the process of appeal will illuminate and clarify this, this relationship uh, in, in, in more detail. Because uh, the Constitution sets out uh, broad principles. All those principles are enforced through acts of legislation. And the relevant piece of legislation here is the Administrative Justice Act, which sets out principles of rationality and other criteria for the behavior of officials. And the, 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 the appeal will go into the details of that act and whether the interpretation provided in this case is too broad or is too narrow or, or whatever. So it's not over yet. It's going to take some time. You speak but of the, an appeal. The, uh, sorry, yes. Dr. Sarasinski, you can finish that point? Well, the, 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 the issue is that um, 
that uh, the, the, the Constitution and the, the relevant Act have set out important principles and parameters that limit the discretion of public servants. And that's actually quite a good thing. So when you talk about an appeal, is this something that can be appealed? Is there scope for that? Well, it's a high court decision. And if it's a high court decision, it can always be appealed on constitutional grounds at the appeal court and then even the constitutional court. And just coming... Mm-hmm. The president, the president has two options. Two, two, he still has two levels of appeal open to him. And uh, what sort of information is likely uh, to be contained in these records? Should they be produced? What would he need to provide? Well, there's going to have to be some kind of of, of, of evidence uh, base for this. So the Department of uh, Monitoring and Evaluation. They do assessments of ministers. So those reports that are given to the president on a regular basis should be part of that evidence base. And if there are any findings there that uh, suggest that uh, the the person at the center of this controversy wasn't performing, that, that could resolve it quite easily and quite quickly. There would also have to be a a cabinet minute of discussion and what the the issues were and what the resolution was. Um, There would have to be uh, other other documents uh, related to the performance of the minister in terms of personal communications with interested parties um, and and the whole range of, of other assessments. So when the president applied his mind to the cabinet reshuffle. He can't just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to reshuffle the cabinet. He's got to say, on the basis of information that I have at my disposal, I have made a decision to reshuffle the cabinet. And it's that information that the court is asking the president to make available. And is there a requirement in law that stipulates that expressly? Well, as, as, as I understand the, the, the discussion and the commentary that is based on the uh, Access to uh, Administrative Justice Act, uh, there is that in, in law and uh, there is that in precedent. And uh, the appeal will see whether that is the case or not. And the other thing that um, people are talking about is that of judicial overreach and interfering with the powers of a sitting president. What's your view on on those? Yes, there will always be a tension between the the, the three spheres of government, the judiciary, the legislature and the executive. And in a democracy, we, we would want to see such tensions. Such tensions are healthy. Now, whether one sphere overreaches into another is is exactly what causes the tensions. It's what's a sign of a vibrant uh, democratic constitutional system. And and in our new democracy and our new constitutional system, we're busy defining what the parameters of the various powers are of these spheres. Now, our constitution, unlike many others, is quite vague on the powers of uh, the executive. And that's why the courts have been drawn into these controversies to define more clearly what the executive can and can't do. So it's part of our constitutional development process now that we're dealing with real cases. Other countries went through these issues 100, 200 years ago. 
we're at the early stages of actually getting into the details of how a constitutional democracy works. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. That was uh, Dr. Ivor Sarakinsky, and he's a senior lecturer at the Witt School of Governance. And uh, you're so, the messages just keep streaming in. As Tembiso Mkize says, SK politicians now need a law degree since every decision in the country is being